It's great to have you here. Why don't you go ahead and take a seat? And as you do, I'm going to invite a couple of young men to come on up here who are helping us to know God more and reflect His love to the world around us. Um, as uh, we have talked over the last couple of months, we are starting out, uh, starting a brand new fourth morning worship service on our campus called The Venue. That begins next Sunday morning in the gymnasium at 1115. Uh, and so uh, we're just going to have a time where we uh, get to have worship over in that gymnasium. That's going to be led by Michael Dillard. And Michael has been on this stage before. He has led in our Christmas performance. He's led with Pastor Stephen and worship here. Uh, and then R.J. Aiken, uh, who is also going to be our campus pastor over in the gymnasium. And so both of them are Pacific students. Uh, well, used to be a Pacific student. When you first came around here, you were a Pacific student, came to our crosswalk service, uh, and still works over at Pacific with InterVarsity um, and uh, all the work that's going on there. And then Michael Dillard uh, is still a student, unfortunately. Uh, he is, he's in an internship program, though, um, so taking a little break from being on campus and up north during the week, but um, we'll be back here in December. So, um, you know, the venue idea, if you have not heard about that, is that it's over in our gymnasium. Uh, worship time will be great. Uh, and then when the message time comes, the screen will lower from the building, and the image that is shown here, taken here, and, and you can watch it on your website if you want to watch it in the week if you're not here sometime, but that same broadcast will be shown over in the service. So the same message will be preached here and over there, and we're very excited because when we uh, practiced, did a rehearsal um, uh, service two weeks ago, there were 99 people who came to that that said, we want to help this start off. We want to be the, the servants. We want to be the ones working to make this happen. Uh, and so we've been very open. We're not expecting transfer growth. We're not just saying, oh, just leave here and go over there. We're looking for new people. We're wanting to reach new groups to say, hey, you have not been coming to First Baptist. You have not been in church because we don't want to take them from other churches as well. If you have friends or family who are part of other churches, great. If that is a great church, you leave them there. But we're inviting. We're inviting people to these services, but also to the new venue service that is starting as well. And so, RJ, thank you for being a part of this. I uh, just want to ask you guys a couple of questions and then pray over you. Uh, why are you excited to be a part of what God's doing in the venue uh, starting next week? Cool. Thanks, Pastor Brad. So, yeah, like he said, I've been coming to First Baptist since 2009. Started going to Crosswalk then. I grew up in San Jose, and I came out to Stockton to go to University of the Pacific. Graduated a couple years ago. But yeah, now I'm really excited to be helping start the venue because I think it's a great way for our church to kind of reach out more into the community. Hopefully create a place for people that don't yet go to church. I mean, whether they are a believer and haven't found a church to get involved with, or people that don't know what they believe yet, might have some honest questions, honest doubts about God. Hopefully it's a way for them to kind of come in, join the community here at First Baptist, and not only hear God's word, but meet a community of other people that are going to show them and teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, you know, like we've been saying, that's really part of the goal of the venue, is to create a place that's maybe a little bit more of a casual atmosphere, uh, some up-tempo worship music, and hopefully a place that might not necessarily feel like church. Not that there's anything wrong with that, mm -hmm. but for people that haven't gone to church before, that it's a way for us to reach out into the community more. And for all of us that have family, friends, neighbors, coworkers that aren't a part of a church yet, hopefully a place for that to invite them in and help them take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. Absolutely. So we are so thrilled to get to work alongside these two. Michael, why are you excited to be a part of this uh, venue as well? There's just, there's so much good stuff. Um, but I actually had the opportunity to do an internship here last year 
uh, as part of my sophomore year of college. Nope, junior. Yep, I'm a senior. Okay. Right. Hey, <laughs> you need to know this. It's part of my junior year. Um, and just amazing to see even through that, just the amazing people that are here in the church and also the people that God is building up. Um, and this, the venue is not just kind of this spontaneous on the spot, like, hey, well, let's just do this other service. It's really been a vision for a long time in Pastor Brad's heart. Um, and now just kind of joining with a lot of other people and just, man, I just, you know when you can't describe excitement, like you just have this, this feeling inside, it's like this is going to be so good. Uh, and I think the reason for that is just the opportunity to see God move in awesome ways. Um, and so we're really excited for that. We're going to be over there. Maybe not up-tempo, but definitely loud. We'll have some up-tempo, too. Okay. Sure. That's um, it. But we're just going to be glorifying God uh, and just making Jesus known to all kinds of people. So we're really excited about that. Absolutely. So we are excited. We shared this with the 8 o'clock service, and we had people coming up and saying, do you have cards, business cards, to invite, and invitations? There they are. So, so if you do have family or friends who you'd like to come be a part of this, 11.15, starting up next week. Let's take a moment. Let's pray over these guys, okay? God, thank you so much for RJ and for Michael and for their willingness to say yes to you. We are so excited to partner with them. God, as we uh, have the message of Jesus Christ, Lord of the world, hope, salvation, go forth. Lord, I thank you that we can proclaim that right from this pulpit here. Thank you that that will be proclaimed in the gymnasium as well. And Lord, more than just gathering and creating more room to gather and different experiences to gather, we hope that that message will be proclaimed as we hear it week after week after week to the world around us. And so thank you so much for, again, uh, Michael and MJ or uh, RJ saying yes to you, saying yes to serving however you would have them do that. And Lord, as we um, uh, now birth a, a new ministry next week, a fourth morning worship service, may it only go to glorify you, to have our body be unified and continue to reach out into our community to make a difference for Jesus. We love you and we thank you and we pray that you will speak mightily and work mightily through what this venue idea will be and specifically for these two leaders of that. So we love you and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Right. Amen. Why don't you say thank you to these guys. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I, I know you're helping with other ministries. You do not have to sit through a second service, okay? Do you, was it that good that you want to sit? No, Michael says no. It wasn't that good. No, no. <laughs> I know that RJ has been working with our, our senior high ministry, and uh, Michael's been doing other things as well, so I want to free them up to get to do some of that um, as well. Um, but yes, there is an excitement, and we hope that you'll join us on Wednesday night. We hope that you'll be up around here and get in community groups. Uh, let me tell you about the next couple of uh, series that we are having. Uh, as Pastor Derek said, uh, at the end of September, we are doing an all-in uh, church-wide series. Um, a lot like the Stormwatch last year, not a fan the year before, and so that will be getting us into community groups. But we have about five or six weeks up until that time, and so we are going to be entering into today a brand new series here in our services called How Do I Respond When People Say? And what the idea behind this is, is we're going to be looking at different thoughts that people have towards Christians and towards the church. Now, now please hear me on this. Not necessarily correct thoughts. Some of them may be, but not necessarily correct. Many of them may just be their ideas that they have gathered from culture and from other people, news media, and sorts. In fact, let me give you a few of them. How do I respond when people say, you Christians are just homophobic? You're gay bashers, and you hate people who are gay. 
How do I respond when people say, oh, you Christians, you are just so judgmental. You judge others, you think you're better than everyone else. How do I respond when people say that, well, you know, Christians, they don't value women or a women's right to choose, specifically with the abortion issue? How do I respond when people say, you Christians, you're, you're narrow-minded. You arrogantly think that your religion is the only way and you put down all other faiths. You, you've heard these. If you haven't, maybe you've kind of been cloistered and kind of into a, a Christian bubble of source, but, but you just watch news media, you hear the words of our culture, specifically people will say some form of these questions. And these are some of the hotter topics that probably are, are going on now. The series that we're entering into really came out of my messages about same-sex marriage that I preached in a couple weeks in June and then one more in July um, that I think many even in here were confronted with how different our culture is from what God's Word teaches. And I have many of you email me and respond even that, you know what, I, I didn't know I was that far away and seeing how the culture has kind of drifted away, and I maybe have drifted with it. Well, no, we need to know what we believe. And then we need to know how to respond when these kind of questions come up. Specifically, well, how do we respond? What do we say? With now the Supreme Court ruling on homosexuality and how different that is from what God's Word says about that. How do we respond when, and this goes all the way back to 1973, Roe versus Wade, that contradicts the value of life that is taught in Scriptures. How to respond when these kind of questions or issues or comments come up in a social or a work or maybe even a family setting that you are involved in. How do you respond? What do you say? When the church in general, and even you specifically, may be called a homophobe or a bigot or someone who doesn't believe in equality or that you're judgmental or that you're narrow-minded. Because i got to be honest, truthfully, the days of socially acceptable Christianity are over. The cultural voice is saying that the Bible and the church's teachings are out of date, they're retrograde, they're insensitive, they're uncompassionate, and now they are even hateful. Which is interesting. Because the most loving message that has ever been taught, the most love that has ever been demonstrated to the world by a man going to die on the cross, now gets labeled as hateful, and uncompassionate, archaic, old, narrow-minded. That's what is being said now about the church and about Christians. What do we say in response? How do we respond? And I, and I guess the first question would be, do you respond? I, I mean, do you, when you hear that kind of talk at the office or in your family or in social settings, do you engage that kind of conversation or do you just kind of slump away and hopefully don't have to answer that? Hopefully just, well, you know, they'll get over it or they'll take care of it. Or do you step up and say something? Not combatively, I'm certainly not saying that. In fact, Peter is going to tell us specifically about that. But what do we say? How do you respond? You know, Peter had a difficult time responding in a situation. 
I'll tell you a, a good place where he responded, and I'll tell you one where he didn't do so well. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 8. I read this passage last week, but I want to jump back into it to kind of introduce this topic. Peter, obviously one of the disciples, is walking around with Jesus. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. The twelve disciples and Jesus were coming through a region called Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, Jesus may be even asking this in conversation and dialogue with his disciples. He said this, he said... Um, by the way, who do people say that I am? Who do people, who does the culture, what, what, what do others say about me? Look how the disciples respond. They said, John the Baptist. Maybe others say that you're Elijah. Others say, well, he's one of the prophets. Then Jesus said, well, that may be what the culture is saying, but now what about you? What do you say about me? And Peter, as he often speaks for the disciples, spoke up and said, You are the Christ. You, you are the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. I mean, you are the one who has come to save our souls, to save our country. You are the Christ. And today, if, if you come to this place and you're hearing my words and you have not yet come to that place of being able in your own heart to say that Jesus is the Christ, then I pray today will be a day when you make that decision. I pray today will be a day when you hear what I have to say and not only looking to reach out to the world, but first and foremost, it, it comes to your heart. It comes from knowing God personally, as Miranda even saying here. We want to know you more. That's where it begins. And I know that in the church, many, many, many of you have already made that decision. And so I want to leverage that decision that you have made and say, now, what's our responsibility? But some of you have not made that yet. And so today, the question comes to us as well. Who do you say that this Jesus is? Now, for those of you who have said yes to him, watch kind of how Peter does this, because Peter said yes to him as well. Jump over now to Mark chapter 11. Just a couple of chapters over. In verse 30... Of Mark 8, we see that Jesus said, don't tell anyone yet, because the culture was not ready to hear. But by chapter 11, Jesus is ready to reveal himself to the crowds. And so in Mark 11, verse 7, we see that they bring a colt to Jesus, and many threw their cloaks on the colt, and Jesus sat on it. And verse 8 says, many spread their cloaks on the road, others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, uh, David. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. Those were the easy days. Those were the days when the crowds were accepting, when they were cheering for Jesus. But all of a sudden, when you go over to chapter 14 and 15, in chapter 14 you see that now the crowds have turned upon Jesus, and in chapter 15 they're yelling, not Hosanna, but they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. We don't want this Jesus. You give us Barabbas. And in just five short days' time, the tide has turned. 
And likewise, Peter is now afraid to be a disciple of Jesus, and he denies Jesus three times. Just a short time earlier, he saw the crowds and the culture were cheering. He probably was right there eating it all up. Just a short time before that, he said, you are the Christ, and he believed that in his heart. But now in chapter 15, actually chapter 14, we see Peter's denial, not just once, not just twice, but three times. And so as we enter this story, I ask the question, what would you have done? How would you respond if you were Peter, if you were in his shoes. See, we don't live in the uh, triumphal entry uh, Palm Sunday world anymore where they're cheering on Jesus, where it's socially acceptable and okay to be a Christian. We live in a post-Christian nation, a post-Christian culture, and we live in a Good Friday world where the ridicule is being given to be a follower of Jesus and to be a follower of God's Word. So how do I respond? See, the good news is that Peter grew from his failure. He didn't just stop there, but, but he... But he was reinstated by Jesus. As Jesus in John 21 said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, do you love me? Yes, do you love me? He said, then I need you to get about the work. Not more than loving your nets and staying here, but I need you to share. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to be the one to share the good news. And so we see, if you want to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter is now bold in his faith, is now sharing with others. And he's saying, I've been there. I've been there when I've fallen flat on my face. I've been there when I've been victorious with Jesus. I've been in both places. And so now Peter is preparing others when he says, 1 Peter chapter 3, on the outline or in your Bibles, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as, what's the word there? As what? As holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asked you, for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's Peter. That's Peter who did it well, and that's Peter who didn't do it so well. That's Peter who knows what it feels like to fall flat on his face, now tells us, okay, you set Christ above all, first and foremost. You know him first and foremost. And then, and then, you be prepared to answer the world around us. This is Peter who knows what it's like not to have an answer, who knows what it's like to fail. And he is now saying, you can do this. You can do this. In fact, the world needs you to do this. Our culture needs you to do this. And and we'll look over the course of this series of why it's come about that way. But the first question I guess I just want to ask you is, not just with your words, but with your life. Do you live out your faith? And does it show? Does it, as Jesus says in John chapter 10, 10, does it resemble not a thief in the night, but does it resemble a hope and abundant fulfillment? Look at the words here. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it, what's the word there? Have it what? Abundantly. NIV, I believe, says to the fullest, in fullness that you may have life. Is your life full? Or did you allow the joy to be stolen away? Do you see the gospel as good news? You know, one of the most exciting things I had last week was just seeing the various people in our ministry fair out here in the Welcome Center and along the walkway, just the people who are excited about their ministries and getting to share it with others. 
and to sign people up to say, come and serve, come be a part of this. There is a faith step that you will take when you serve and when you have to answer questions or when you have to be more on the front lines of serving and claiming your faith as, yes, I identify with that team. There's a whole group of visiting saints. I called Jan Crawford this week. She was so excited that she got so many people to sign up for that ministry, goes out and visits our shut-ins, even goes into the hospital and does some things like that. There's others who go out and visit in the prisons. There's a motorcycle club. There's so many different areas where you can take more of a bold stand in your faith or serving. And today, if you didn't get, take advantage of that last week, I pray that you would this week. That you would join the team, get involved in serving. Because if you don't, you've been robbed of, a, 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 of an excitement and a joy that you need to have. I'll tell you another area that that robbery has come in. It's come in your marriages. Marriage is tough. Marriage is not easy. Just ask my wife. Marriage is not easy. Okay? Let's be honest about that. And we've seen that here at the church. We've seen difficult situations. We've seen struggles going on. Let, let me give you a word of hope, though, if I could. Most of us have probably heard the stats that have been shared. Many people, I, I, I probably share these stats as well, that 50% of marriages today end in divorce. You, you probably heard that stat be shared. I have to tell you that it is not true. There's a book out called The Good News About Marriage. And really that stat is much closer to 20 to 35% of marriages end in divorce. Now that's still too many. We, we know that. But it's not one in two. It's not half. And the other good news about this is this. You probably also heard the stats that people say that marriages inside the church end in divorce as much as they do outside the church. In fact, what that's trying to say is, is that the church is, is just like the culture when it comes to divorce and throwing away marriage. Again, that stat has been misconstrued. Because let me share more about what that means. Barna did some research on this, and it's most of the time attributed to him that he said that the rate of divorce is the same uh, in the church and outside the church. He says, that's not the point of what it was said. He said, I polled people who said that they were Christians and who were non-Christians. Just spoken said they were Christians or non-Christians. He said, between that, it seems like it's half and half. But when you take it to a place of saying that those Christians go to church, that those Christians regularly engage in worship and are together come to a local body of believers and fellowship and worship in a church, he said that goes down. He said it goes down by 20 to 50%. It goes down. What's he saying? He's saying going to church matters to your marriage. Going to church is good news to your marriage. That when you take these teachings seriously, when you get involved in taking steps of serving and loving and helping and in community, that that reflects your marriages. So inside the church does not reflect what's outside the church because we take it more seriously. And it is so much fun to see when marriages do it right and put it right. I, I'm thinking of a couple right now where the husband a couple years ago came in in tears, in tears for some of the things that were going on in their marriage. And today to see how strong they are, it is so much fun to celebrate and rejoice with them. I, I look at this verse again. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, that you might have a marriage, that you might have singleness, whatever you are called to that you might have joy in your workplaces, that you might have joy in your school, that you might have joy in your social settings, that you might have joy wherever you are, in your homes. Jesus says that you might have it, not just have it, not just even have eternal life and know that that's secure, but to have it abundantly. Abundantly. In fact, look at the verses 
out of Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Matthew 9, 36. Jesus is um, showing some emotion when he has compassion on the people. The Greek word there for compassion is spagnizomai, which means his, his, his bowels yearned. That's what the word means. The bowels yearn. Matthew 9, verse 36, says it like this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And my thought on this is, if that's what that word actually means, how many of our bowels yearn more for the people that God wants us to reach out to and be in relationship to him, or do our bowels yearn more for pepperoni pizza? To be honest with you. What do we care more about? Even as I spoke last week about leisure and pleasure in our society, what do we care more about? What do we have more passion for? As Jesus said, I I, I haven't just saved you to, to sit on the sidelines, but I've saved you to serve. Look at verses 37 and 38. It says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In other words, we're part of that plan. We're a part of showing the world around us. And we're not destined to just be in our Christian bubble. Please understand me on this. We are not destined as Christians to just stay in our Christian bubble and stay cloistered in our churches. But we're supposed to be in the world, just not of the world. I know that can be dangerous. I know that's uncomfortable when these words come up and people say, well, you Christians are just this, or you Christians are that, or your churches stand for this. You know what? Jesus already saw that. Look at what he prayed in John chapter 17. This is the kind of the high priestly prayer where he's praying for himself before going to the cross, praying for his disciples, and praying for us in turn. Look at what he says, John 17. I ask not, uh, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. He's praying this to the Father about us and about his disciples, but that you keep them from the evil one. Yeah, you're going to have trouble. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy. But just running and cloistering yourself and staying in your Christian bubble is not going to help the world. We have to see this world with the mission that Jesus gave to us to be in the world, not of the world, and know that as we do this, we are covered by his prayers. God, I pray for them that they will be covered, not that they will be pulled out of the world, but that they will be protected from the evil one. Because really, here's the good news and the bad news. As we take this message to the world, I think the culture is very intrigued by Jesus. If you actually bring up the teachings of Jesus, if you talk to them about the person of Jesus... I don't think anybody says, I don't like him. I think most people will say, I like his teachings. I like his care and his compassion for others. I'm into that. I can accept that. He's a good guy. He's a good dude. It's just they, they look at the church, and they look at Christians. They say, that's what turns me off. And the reason for that, please hear me. I'm not saying that it's because of what you've done. The reason for that has been is because possibly they don't have true Christians in their lives. They don't have true Christ followers who can display and show the joy of what it means to be a Christ follower, who can share about what it means to follow Jesus being in their lives. In fact, I saw an interview. 16 people were interviewed. Only two of them, two of them 
said that they had someone who was a Christian that they even knew who were impressed upon them. So where do they get their impressions? They get it from scandals in the news. They get it from street evangelists. They get it from the media. And believe me, the media doesn't think highly of people who want to be on the right road. I mean, there's a TV show out right now called Impastor. I don't know if any of you have seen this, but it's about uh, the plot is a, is a man who stole the identity of a pastor and now is a part of a church. He wasn't a pastor, but now he stole his identity. He is gay. He's promiscuous. And the church is okay with that. And that's who he is. And, and, and so if you watch that show, if you don't know what church is about, you think, well, maybe that's how churches are. Where, where do people see true Christian faith lived out? Because as I said, we're in a post Christian culture, much like the Old Testament days where it says in Judges 2.11 that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And we live in that generation. So how do we make an impact? Look at this quote by uh, Reggie McNeil who writes the book The Present Future. Six tough questions of the church. He says, the world is profoundly different than it was in the middle of the last century. And everyone knows it. But knowing it and acting on it are two different things. So far, the North America church largely has responded with heavy infusions of denial, believing the culture will come back to its senses and come back around to the church. Goes on to say, the rate of disconnection indicates a dilemma far more serious than mere mutual rebellion. The further you go down the generational food chain, the lower the percentage each succeeding generation report going to church at all. It's one of the reasons we want to start the venue back up. It's one of the reasons that Pastor Jim asked me to do our crosswalk service 15, 17 years ago now. Because we want the church to be a place where anybody can come in and anybody can be a part of it. It's just some people look in church and say, I've got to be perfect before I get in there or I don't want to be in there because this is what I think about the church. Perception's wrong when they come around, I hope and pray. I hope and pray when people walk through these walls that they see real people who love them and care about them and give them a hope, give them a peace, show that no Christianity is not like maybe they have perceptions of. So what am I asking of you? Here's what I'm wanting you to be aware of. While we get strengthened from being in the church, we have got to fight the pull of being cloistered in this Christian subculture type of a bubble. We have to, um, we are tempted many times to be in, uh, not in the world, but to retreat from the world and hide. And when we do, please hear me on this First Baptist, when we do, then who's going to show people who Christians really are and what they really believe and who Jesus really is? We need to be the ones to not wall ourselves off because statistics will say that when you are become a Christian in the first three years of your Christianity, you will wall yourself off from most of your non-Christian friends. And after three years, you don't have many people in your lives who don't go to church and don't follow Christ. Now there's good news, bad news there. Yes, you want to be encouraged. Yes, you want to be strengthened. And that's why we gather where we meet. But we have continually, we constantly have to be aware of what the culture is like. We continually, constantly have to be aware that I need to bring people into my sphere of influence who don't know what Christ is like, who don't know what goes on here at this church, 
who don't know the joy and the happiness that Jesus gives to us and wanting us to live and them to live in abundant joy. It's why I said, protect your marriages. It's why I said, protect your personal lives. Live them in a way that they will want to, but also be ready to respond and to speak up. That's what Peter tells us. Be ready to give a defense. To be honest with you, we need to view the world and understand our culture as missionaries. Much like it says in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We need people of First Baptist who understand the times and know what people should do. And again, good news, bad news. I think the culture is open to Jesus. Bad news is they have negativity and misunderstandings of what the Christian faith is about. And, and that's not new. I mean, this has been going on for centuries. Centuries. I mean, I mean think about this. The first time that the church was gathered and the Holy Spirit came upon them was a time called Pentecost. Do you remember what happened right after Pentecost? They began speaking in tongues. And as the people began to speak in tongues, do you remember what the people around said? They said, these people must be what? These people must be, they must be drunk. It's an accusation, misperception of what the church is about and what the church is like. There's other ones, a misperception of... Um, uh, when Jesus tells us to take his body and to take his blood, early church were called cannibals. They're eating the flesh. They're drinking blood. Cannibalistic. Would you even believe that the early church um, were, were accused of incest? Why? Because they called each other brother and sister, and they were married to one another. So the culture looks at that and says, that's strange, that's weird, incestual type relationships. They were even accused of being atheists because they had no idols in their churches. The New Testament believers did away with any idols. Surrounding cultures all had idols that they worshipped. That was their gods. But the New Testament, the Christians, the way, they didn't have idols. And so people would say, well, so you're atheists. There's been a lot of misconceptions about the church. And those misconceptions are still true today. And so what I want to do over the next month or so is I want to equip you with, um, with some responses. I want to equip you with what God's Word says about homosexuality. I want to equip you with what God's Word says about women and women's rights and, 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 and the gift of life in the area of abortion. I want to equip you with what the Bible says about judging others. Are we supposed to or are we not? I want to equip you with what the Bible says about what the world tells us that we're narrow-minded and we just arrogantly believe that we're the only way. What does the Bible say about that? I mean, we know what Jesus says. Jesus says, remember, this is in John chapter 17, verse 15. I I'm praying for you. And as you are in the world, I am praying that you will be there and that you will be equipped and that you'll be protected from the evil one. He prayed this for Peter. He prayed it for his disciples. He's praying it for us. And as Peter knew Christ, Mark chapter 8 says this, as Peter knew Christ, his interaction with the culture, he was afraid. He was scared when his life was in danger. However, when he met the risen Christ, more than just words that he professed, but the risen Christ, that's when he became bold. That's when he became prepared to speak and to preach and to share. And that's where we get this verse again out of 1 Peter chapter 3, where it talks about, in your hearts, honor Christ 
elevate him, know him. The words we just sang to that song, I want to know you, I want to know your heart. And when you do, then you are prepared to give a defense, to give a response. And First Baptist, it's there. If it's not in your life, it should be. We should be in places where we have to respond to people who say, well, those Christians are just judgmental of others. Those Christians are gay bashers. They, they hate homopho- uh, homosexuals. They're homophobic. Those Christians are, are narrow-minded. What do we say? How do we respond? Do you want to respond? Or would you rather retreat? This church, we need to respond. We need to come to, to the culture. We need the dialogue. We need to have conversations. And so this week, if you'll be open to praying, God, as a missionary, we go out into the world. Let me see my world differently. Let me see my world as you see this world. Let me have the eyes and the ears that you had when you looked at the culture and had compassion on them like sheep without a shepherd. And as we do, And as we are equipped, and as we're prepared, and as the Holy Spirit speaks through us, I pray that the world around us sees what someone who loves Jesus is really like. And that someone who loves Jesus has a joy and enthusiasm in his life. And and that they wouldn't even see our lives anymore, but that they would see the life of Jesus live through us. Amen? God, we're on a journey. You're taking us to a new place. Maybe for some of us, getting outside of our comfort zone. Maybe for others of us, being equipped in ways that we have not been, we've not thought. But Lord, we know that if you've given us the Holy Spirit, that we are responsible for helping further the cause of Christian faith, of the movement that you started some 2,000 years ago. God, you've called us to be your spokespeople. You've called us. Folks, I know that I'm speaking to many, many Christians across this uh, worship center. But I also know that there's people in here who have not yet made the decision to receive Christ. You're not here by accident today. Some of the things that I have brought up, you probably have thought. And you're looking, you're evaluating, you're judging. You're checking to see, is this a true faith? Is is this a real place? Welcome. Yes, it is. Welcome home. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you today, just as Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And so let me ask you very personally, if you have not given your life to Christ yet, who do you say Jesus is? Just a good teacher? Just a good man? Or was he truly God in flesh? sent to this world to die for our sins. See, that's what we believe here at this church. And we believe it all begins there. We know that we're all sinners. We know that we all fall short of God's glory. And so we need help. And we've chosen to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior in faith to live our lives. And so today, if you're here, and if you're even ready to take that step of faith, you might not know everything about what that means, but it's a step of faith. Today would be a day to pray, Jesus I pray today you come into my life. I pray today as I seek answers that I know ultimately the answer is in Jesus. And it's in knowing you personally. 
And so, Lord, I pray today that you forgive me of my sins. You allow me to take a U-turn from where my life was headed. And I follow you today. I accept you in faith. Today, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you after the service, either talk to the friend who brought you, and they will take you out to our welcome center. We have some information out there for you. Or please come talk to me here at the end of the service. I'd be honored to get to pray with you and help to point you in the right direction as well. Either way, we want you to take a step to say, I made that decision. I'm now following Jesus and welcome aboard. For the rest of you, you know where your faith is. Perhaps you might even need to be emboldened in that faith. You might need to to say, God, uh, give me the courage. Give me the strength. Give me the words. Let me see this world as you see it. And so today, I pray that that would be your prayer. Lord, as we leave this place, may we see the culture around us as missionaries to bring the good news. May we live that out in our lives. May we share that with our words. Jesus, thank you. We worship you. We praise you. You're the one we exalt. We do this in your power and your strength. For it's in the name of Jesus that we love you and we serve you. In your name we pray.